0: Hey, everybody, I'm Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where I talk with people about the moments in their life when they cross that line from leading with their head to leading with their heart and from leading with their heart to leading with their head. Today on the show, I have a really neat guy, Dr. Tyler Fuquay. Uh, He is he is brilliant. I, I can't. I mean, pages and pages of his resume, all of his his things that he's accomplished, and uh, postdoctoral training. He he his education is is above reproach. He's a you know just a uh, intelligent man. But that's not why I had him on the podcast. Tyler has much more than IQ. Uh, he has incredible EQ. But he has much more than EQ. Tyler has a passion. Tyler has a call. Tyler has a love. And this is the story of his love and how he uh, how he found out about it, how he developed it, how he kept his work uh about coming back to this love and this love centers around the street boys of Peru it is truly an incredible story a wonderful journey uh you will hear Tyler um, become passionate emotional even and uh, it is beautiful it really is it it it, it touched my heart. I hope it touches yours. I don't want to take any more time. I want you to hear. Listen to Tyler as he tells us his story uh, and how he founded an incredible organization called Not Forgotten. Let's jump in to the conversation with Dr. Tyler Fuquay right now. Well, Tyler, welcome. Welcome to Crossing the Line. I, I've been looking forward to this since the conversation with Brian Cook when he was on our podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, he thinks an awful lot of you, Tyler. He, uh, he sure had a lot of great things to say, and uh, he, he built you up. I just want you to know, and we are excited to have you. Welcome to Crossing the
1: Line. Great. Well, thanks uh, for having me. Excited to be here and uh, hoping it do not s- disappoint.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're not. I guarantee you, you're not going to do that. And we do appreciate, appreciate you taking. I know you're a very busy doctor, tons of things going on in your life professionally and personally. Uh, so this is, this is, listen, important to us that, that we uh, make sure that we hear your story because your story is worth hearing. And, but we also want to be good stewards of your time. So thank you so much for giving us a, a bit of that. Hey, let's jump right in and, and learn a little bit about Tyler, the man. Nope, no, Tyler. Let's learn about Tyler, the boy. Let, let's go back to, you know, let's say around eight years old. And, and we're going to get to all that you've accomplished. And we talked about that in the intro and we talked about, you know, who you are now. But I want to talk about who you were then. So sure. so let's go back to eight years old, a day in the life of Tyler, and, and when he was eight, talk, talk to us about where did you grow up? What was your life like? And, and what kind of home did you grow up in? Sure.
1: Uh, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, and um, had a, a great home with great family. I um, have two parents who uh, loved each other and loved us, our, uh, their kids well. I have two younger sisters and um, I'm, the, I'm the oldest of three. I um, had a, a very, um, I guess, kind of classic American childhood. I, um, you know, went to school, to public school. I was able to ride my bike to school. We were that close. Um, we also lived near a uh, neighborhood pool. And so every summer was spent all day, every day at the pool. Um, there was a Creek that ran through our neighborhood. And I spent a lot of my my days with my friends in the Creek uh, catching crawdads, building forts, um, you know, just kind of uh, pl- playing uh, I Had a great childhood of just a lot of time just playing with friends and playing you know, sports, soccer, baseball, um, swimming, all these things were just very much a part of my life. Um, I remember, uh, we also when Huntsville, we lived in, um, the Jones Valley area. So there's a big farm right next to our neighborhood. And so while we had, um, all the amenities of the city, it's also a big farm in the middle of the city. And so we would go underneath the barbed wire, um, fence and, uh, you know, play in the farm and in the creeks there. And so whether that was, um, cow patty fights or whatever it was. We, we had a fun time just kind of growing up kind of in the country, kind of in the city all, all at the yeah. same time and, uh, had a really, really good childhood that way.
0: Wow. That, that sounds, it sounds like you did have a wonderful childhood as you, as you were growing up, think about some of the things that your parents taught you or that you experienced. Obviously, Uh, things are, are a little bit different today or, uh, you know, for me, a lot different than, than how I grew up, but the values are the same. Right. And those things that we learn, especially with you having the opportunity to grow up in a farm area and, and that kind of thing. Um, how did it, how did it mold you? Well, how did it, how did it give you values perhaps that you use today? what did you learn?
1: So I think there's uh, several things. Um, uh, one thing my parents taught me was um, just uh, hard work, um, whether that was through school, like working hard, um, trying my best to succeed. They didn't necessarily expect me to be perfect, but they expected me to try my best. Mm. And so I think that was something that was an important value that they that they taught me. Um, one thing that they also gave me a lot of uh, as from a fairly young age, and I think this kind of grew with me, was a lot of um, freedom to uh, explore on my own and kind of mentioning that we had the, the farm um, that was close by or the creek or the pool and just the people to ride our bikes around the neighborhood um, without a lot of parental oversight. There, probably, there was probably more than I realized now, but um, we had a lot of opportunities to be on our own and to experience things, um, on our own, um, both to succeed, to get into trouble, to do good things, um, uh, to, to fail at things. And I think that experiential learning of just having, uh, left to be exposed, um, I think had some benefits, um, as I, as I grew up and did things later on.
0: So here's the thing that we see over and over again, and leaders who, who are, are really good leaders, they, at an early age, seem to have this curiosity. And they somehow have been or were given the ability to pursue that curiosity, to be on their own, to try things, to fail, to learn from their failure, to learn how to fail. All of these things, when you have the opportunity to learn, as Tyler has at a young age, I think it, it does really give a lot of benefit later in life.
1: I think a lot of the independence that I was able to learn as a child uh, helped me in, in doing things down, down the road. And my parents were, they were not, uh, you know, too overbearing with their, um, uh, care for me early on. They were definitely very careful, I think, but I think that helped, um, as well. Um, I think there also, there was, a. Uh, Foundation of a um, faith in our family. Also, we um, grew up going to church. Um, church was a very important part of our life. Um, we grew up reading Bible stories, praying at night together. Um, I, my dad taught Sunday school in this local church, and um, so we were always at church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I think having that exposure um, to the gospel um, hmm. at an early age taught me a lot. I didn't always understand what that meant, um, right. but uh, some of the values taught um, through the Bible, but also just the um, the idea of faith and the gospel and the saving grace of, of Christ, I think also uh, began to take root in me at an early age. And um, I think also through that, the idea that, um, that we are called to love others became a very important part um to, uh, to who I am as well and that I think a lot of that came through my um, exposure to the gospel and um, whether that's through church camps, mission trips um, and just the day and day out learning um, about who Christ is and what he's done for us and how we should then love others I think was a was a really important part of my childhood as well.
0: That foundation of faith and then his call to love others was really, acted out in his life. It it wasn't just um, a word or something he learned. This is something he he actually executed, this call to love others. So stay tuned for the rest of the story. Wow, that that is uh, that's amazing, and and something that I'm afraid uh, we may be on the verge of losing. And that is, you know, with the church affiliation and and church attendance, in this seems like a rapid decline today. We're losing that foundation of faith. I'm afraid for for our families and our children, mm-hmm. and, and it would play such an, an important role for you. You said one thing that intrigued me that I want to ask about. You said that they, your parents, gave you the freedom to explore. Mm-hmm. But also the freedom to fail. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember as a as a teenager, or a, as a you know a young adult, or as a child when you were still you know under your parents you know home in their home under their authority? But do you remember a time when you failed? Did you did you remember what that's like, or could you share that?
1: Um, I guess I could think of um, a few things when when I was really uh, I guess. You know younger failing looked like just disobedience um and and i think one thing that uh, whether that was disobedience was not coming home when we were supposed to or um even just you know being mean to other kids in the neighborhood you know things like uh that they would find out about and then correct me in that that early disobedience um i, I learned that hey the, the more i'm disobedient the less freedom i have the less uh, opportunities you, you give me and when I am obedient, when I do follow through, um, with what you've, you instructed me to do that gets more trust and more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, I, I, I'm trying to think what other kind of failures would have, would have occurred. Um, I don't think I have any, any major specifics. I think there were times within, uh, whether that was through like you know, sports activities and not doing well in those kind of things. And like, they let me try and then we see, I don't like doing this activity and then failing at that. They yeah. let me uh, do in that situation. Um, uh, I don't have any other specific uh, things right now though.
0: I know. I love that. I, I think, you know, sports is a great example of, of learning that we can, we can fail and not be a failure um you know right. and and you tried this and and it wasn't for you but that didn't make you a failure and and right. I'm, I'm sensing that as we go through your story and we get to where you had a an unexpected adventure i think possibly um you know i think that when things don't turn out the way you think they're going to you have to have that ability to push through that right ability right. To, right. to continue to know okay i can overcome that uh, just because it's not what i thought it would be doesn't mean that i can't still be what i need to be or who i need to be or i can't even navigate that i can and i can it gives you that flexibility not to be so rigid of, of uh, things have to be a certain way and right. uh, and I, we'll talk about that in a minute as we as we go through this so all right tyler so here we go you're you're headed into uh now you're headed into uh, college. Now were were you an athlete in high school or were you more cause you are a, you know, you're a doctor and were you an, were you a nerd? I mean, who were who were you? you know,
1: I, I lived in this weird in-between place. I was an athlete. I um I was a starting fullback in high school. Oh, I right. um I uh, I, th- I wasn't great, but I was good enough. Um, but I also um, I-, I did musical theater, and so you know I did um, <laughs> wow. shows and things like that. And I kind of got into that world. And I also uh, was very studious. I enjoyed learning and um, make good grades. And that I- so I kind of had friends that were kind of the 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 sports jock kind of friends. I had my theater thespian friends, and then I had my um, kind of nerdy you know study friends. And I didn't ever feel all always uh that i belong to any of them but but uh, i definitely had friends in all, all those different different areas and uh so um yeah i was uh and i also have my friends from from church and that they, they, they some of those overlapped and some of them didn't but those were right. kind of areas of, of friends came from
0: well that's awesome the singing fullback so we need you to um, <laughs> <laughs> sing for us no that's awesome so we're headed into, to uh, in your life, we're headed to college. Talk us through, where'd you go to school? And then tell us kind of what began to happen in your head and your heart to uh, sure. to kind of, to help, help us to understand your passion, not only for medicine, but for mission. So tell us about that.
1: Sure. So I, I might be to go back to in high school with our church, we started going on um, on mission trips uh, locally or um, within the U.S. And I uh, had several experiences through uh, mission trips and working with children um, in uh, different kind of inner city um, areas of the of the country. And it was really just uh, I, I loved being with kids. I really enjoyed the interaction there, um, and uh, began to to just have more passion uh, towards children um, and caring for children and taking care of kids who came from from rougher areas or rougher backgrounds and uh, so I uh, ended up deciding to go to Samford, um, and, uh, with Stanford university, but that, uh, spring I decided that the summer before college, I wanted to go on an adventure. Um, I didn't have a lot of criteria for that adventure as far as where or what, but I wanted it to be an adventure where I could also help people. And so my thought was an, an adventurous mission trip was what I, what I envisioned, um, for the the big trip before my uh, college started, and so um, in in doing that, I I really had no idea how to how to make that happen. Um, I had another friend of mine who was kind of interested in doing the same thing, and so we started looking at at different trip options that might be available to us. And the church I was attending at the time did not have a lot of opportunities for international missions but I did want to go overseas to do this and so I started you know looking around and ended up going to a missions conference at a friend's church uh, where they had a list of all the mission trips that uh, that were sponsored through their church's sending organization and uh, those uh, that list had um, rankings of difficulty for all of their trips and it wasn't just an overall ranking but it had categories of the physical difficulty difficulty the social difficulty the psychological spiritual difficulty and I kind of went through all of that and I went and I found the hardest trip I could find and I said all right I'm going here I had no idea where here was but it was to um, a place called Puerto Alegria Peru Mm -hmm. and it was in the uh, Amazon jungle in Peru and so um, at that time again I never considered Peru I need to write about it in my history books and things like that, but never given much thought to the country. And, uh, I I found this trip, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, so I ended up calling the sending organization, which was mission to the world uh, Presbyterian missions organization. And, uh, I called up Mission to the World and said, hey, how can I get to this place? And they said, well, there's this church from North Carolina going this summer. If you want to give their team leader a call, maybe you can join their team. And uh, so I randomly cold called this uh, person up in North Carolina um, and just said, hey, I've heard about this trip. Uh, I'd I'd love to go. Um, Can I join your team? for some reason, my parents said, yes, um, that I could do this for some other reason. The team leader said yes. And, uh, and we made it happen. And so my, yeah, so my, one of my first experiences in Peru was this totally random, um, trip with people I didn't know to a place I had no idea where it was.
0: Mm. Wow. So, so you parachuted into this, this place in the Amazon jungle of Peru with Mm -hmm. somebody you didn't know. I mean, did, did a friend go with you or was it just you and these no. people you did? How many people went with you?
1: I think it was probably a team of about 15 people, if I remember you, right.
0: You knew, you didn't know them.
1: I didn't know them. We did have a few phone calls, um, like team phone calls beforehand. Uh, I think maybe two or three. But no, I, I basically met them in the, flew to, flew to Charlotte, met them in the airport. Um, that was first All right. So
0: what, what happened? What was it like? Here you are, <laughs> you're in the jungle. Um, it did it, did it live up to his name? Was it incredibly difficult or was it a piece of cake?
1: It was, it was both. It was interesting. Um, so the trip was, uh, was very different. Um, in every way I was taken out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I didn't know the place. I didn't know the people. But even just getting there was hard. We had um, a lot of troubles with our with our flights getting down there. We're delayed a day. We end up flying to Argentina, then Chile, then back up to Peru to get there. Um, during all this time, uh, everybody else gets their luggage, the luggage rack and mine never shows up. So I'm wow. now in the middle of the jungle with no luggage, nobody I know. Um, I don't speak the language. I don't understand the culture. And on top of that, it, we're doing a lot of construction work. So it's hot. And so I'm getting, of course, soaking wet within five minutes of working and have no clothes to change into.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um,
1: and, then, and then we're also working with um, children who have come from really tough places. And, um, and that was also just something I never experienced before or never really contemplated before. Again, I had a great childhood. And so my perspective was from my own experience as opposed to from, um, these other terrible experiences that these kids had come from, where that was from abuse, uh, neglect, um, mm. abandonment at an early age, mm. um, you know, living on the streets from the age of four or five, um. You know, and hearing these kids stories and seeing and being awoken to that reality that existed um, was also very challenging um, uh, during that during that time. And so just from a from a physical sense, it was very difficult from from that uh, emotional and spiritual sense. It was very difficult. Again, language, socially, it was very, very challenging.
0: Notice he said that this was very difficult. He said it again. This was very difficult. He said that this was very challenging. You know, when we go and and, and make a difference in others' lives, whether it's in Peru or the United States, it's not easy. It's difficult. And we have to be strong enough and willing to pursue our passion if we're truly going to go make that difference.
1: The cool thing about this trip was that through through removing all of these comforts that I had depended on my entire life, I felt a, a closeness to God. And um, Mm. to the work he was doing there, which was, I think, necessary for me to experience. Um, And I don't think I would have experienced that if I had all of these other comforts of people I knew or friends or clothes um, or anything to depend on. I remember, you know, going down to the, the place was on a river that we stayed and uh, there was a little floating dock down there and every day I actually had a pair of clothes in my carry-on bag, thanks to my mom she put an extra pair of clothes in my carry-on bag so I had two pairs of clothes that I could change back and forth from and every day at the end of the day I'd jump in the water with my clothes on and I'd get out, change clothes and I'd wash my clothes in the river um, because that was the only thing we had and so the boys there, you know, probably seven or eight years old, were teaching me how to uh, wash socks by hand of course I've never done before and again, um, it was just a, a very um eye-opening experience and um challenging experience for me
0: goodness gracious so so the young boys the street boys were showing you how to how to wash socks and right i mean that that was probably a a normal way of life for them huh and and you're there so so what tell me tell me when you when you finally you know you work through this you left what happened to you what impression did that trip leave on you
1: sure so i i left uh, during that trip we uh heard from the director of the uh the home and the ministry that was there um and there were there were stories about the kids um and one of the kids had had mentioned at one point that maybe it wasn't good for the the gringos or the foreigners to come down because they would form these great friendships and then they would leave again. Mm. And that was always really challenging for the kids Mm. who had already had a lot of loss in their life to develop friendships and then lose them again. And that really stuck with me. Um, and I, I, I thought it, I remember very vividly walking down, um, to the to the river, we're gonna get our boat to head back to the to the city. And I remember thinking like I want to come back to Peru, but not just to Peru, back to this very place. Mm. And I wanted to show those kids that I had not forgotten them. Wow.
0: Wow. That's amazing, Tyler. It it uh you know, it changed your heart, didn't it? Touched your heart, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's amazing. And so you you're reliving that right now, thinking about leaving those kids, but knowing in your heart, I'm coming back. I'm coming right. back. That's beautiful. Wow. That's just that's incredible. Um, right. So what happened next?
1: <laughs> so uh, I, I came back and of course I thought that I was so valuable mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time I thought I'd be such a big help I, and I had a lot of lot to learn about what helping really meant and about mm-hmm. my own value um, in that whole process but I, I, I came to Sanford and Sanford at the time had a, a January term and uh, I thought mm-hmm. okay I've got this whole month in January, I'm sure I can go back down to Peru and help in some way. Right. So I, uh, I reached out to the, to the director of the, of the home and ministry and said, hey, I'd love to come back in January um, to help. Can I, can I come? And they responded and said, well, do you speak Spanish? And I said no, and they said, "Well, then you can't really help us." <laughs> and they and they encouraged me. They said, "If you really want to help, learn Spanish, then come back to us." And so I said, "All right, uh, I, get, I better learn some Spanish." So I uh, started taking Spanish. 101 for a semester um, at Sanford, and uh, I ended up taking a, a year and a half of Spanish. I went to I did some study abroad um, in Spain and Costa Rica to try to get some really true immersion language learning, so I could actually mm. speak and not just read or write. Mm. And um, I uh, actually tried to go on a trip to Peru uh, one spring break, and that that fell through in my freshman year, um, and so. It came time. It was uh, January of my sophomore year of uh, college. I was in Costa Rica, um, doing a study abroad there. Um, again, I, I, I was like, my Spanish isn't great, but it's better than it was. Um, and I want to get back to see, to see these kids. Um, and so I emailed the missionaries and said, Hey, uh, I have spring break th- this, this week. I'd like to, uh, to bring a group of my friends down to visit the home on a, on a short term trip. Mm-hmm. And, um, I figured that was the only way that I'd get down there during the during the time that I, that worked for, for my schedule was like, if I, I got to create my own team, I got to make this happen. And wow. so I, uh, they, again, for some reason, they said, probably be a good idea and said yes. Um, I told them that I spoke Spanish now. Um, I, I don't know, again, my Spanish was not very good at the time. Um, I guess it was good enough, though. And uh, I convinced Brian Cook and uh, seven other friends of mine, from, uh, freshmen from, from Sanford to or sophomores from Sanford to, uh, to go that spring break on a, on a trip to Peru. Wow.
0: And so you went back. How was it different or was it different? This is you're coming back. You're in the same place. Um, you see these children different, same. What happened?
1: It was, um, there was a lot of similarities. It it felt very um, comfortable um, being there in the same place um, and, and seeing those kids, the kids, you know, they all, actually they, they seemed to at least remember who I was, which I was kind of amazed by. I didn't expect that. Um, but they, uh, they, um, we had a a wonderful trip. Um, it was better in that nothing got lost and all the flights were on time. So that was good. Um, and I don't know how much help we actually provided, you know, I think in a lot of ways, these early trips was more for me than I did. I got much more out of it than I think any child or ministry ever did got from us. But, um, it was it was just re- really reaffirming to see to um, see these kids still there, still um, you know growing, developing, you know, doing better than they had been um, prior to coming to this home, and so uh, it, it was it was just a, a great experience to come back and to kind of complete that promise that I had made. Yes. Um, to myself um, and to know that like I hadn't let them down and you know they had, they had never put that on me, on me themselves I had put that on myself and I wanted to make sure that I, that I lived into that
0: it's what all great leaders do they follow through and he held himself accountable to come back and he did so that freed you up you you know you made a promise you, you mm-hmm. followed through by the way I can't help but think you know you, you tried to get back a couple of times it didn't work out um, that's you know, let's go all the way back now what you learned, you know, from your from your parents of, hey, you know what, if if, if you fail, it's OK, you get up and you try again. And, and if right. you don't make it in this sport, you do that. Wow. So, so so there there's a great example of from a leadership perspective, which, you know, me, I'm kind of looking at it from a leadership perspective. Sure. But um, you learned about you learned about it. Look, if this doesn't work out, let's do it again. Let's try another one. You kept persisting until you went back. You fulfilled your your promise, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of the story. You didn't just fulfill it and say, "Okay, see you." What What happens next?
1: So, so that that kind of desire to continue to to fulfill that promise kind of kind of persisted. I, I, again, I wanted to be someone who continued to help, continued to be involved with those specific children, to know that they they were not forgotten, to know that that somebody did care for them more than just people in their in their immediate lives. And so, I um I uh, Went back that following summer. I was I interned for the ministry down there. And I basically what I did at that time was helping to lead their short term trips over the summer. So I would basically meet a team in the airport, translate for them on their trips and then take oh. them back to the airport. Um, and, and then the next spring break came around and and everybody was like, Hey, are we going back? And I said yeah, let's do it. And so we uh, organized another, another team. We had 23, 24 people come from Sanford, Um, and, and then, uh, ended up going back the next summer as an intern again. Uh, and then, um, the next spring break was my senior year and they, and I had everybody at this point was like, Hey, let's go to Peru. And we took a team of about 37 people down, down to Peru. And, um just had tons of momentum and interest in um wanting and people that that I knew and people that we had, had come with me and had met these kids and seen their situation seeing what, what was being done um, that wanted to to continue to invest and saw the value in going back to the same place and investing in the same people so we we got towards the end of my my, my uh, time at Sanford and we started recognizing, hey, there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of issues that are here that, that we can't help in a short-term one-week trip as a, as a group of college students. Um, so, so we started, so me and a couple other guys, uh, Brian Cook and several others started saying, how can we make more of an impact when we're not here? Mm. And at that point is when we started to think, uh, maybe we should consider starting um, some type of organization to help specifically this home um to to really support these kids to provide better education to provide better quality food to help with their transportation they were very isolated um on a tributary of the amazon and so how can we meet some of these very basic needs we have this group of people who are very involved and invested now how do we keep them motivated and organized um to uh, to support these children and, and that's when the idea kind of first originated of, of forming not forgotten
0: mm wow so that's the whole idea was uh you know we need a sustainable way to impact these children we need a way to do more than just uh one week a year or whatever but it all originated we come all the way back to that first trip where you left those kids and it impacted you so much that it drove this for the next four years and then this vision emerged uh your vision that said you know um, I made you a promise I would not forget you here, and now I'm going to take it to a whole another level. So right. you had this vision of creating an organization called Not Forgotten. Tell us about right. that.
1: Right. So, um, again, as we started thinking about what we would do, uh, what we would call this, obviously that that the idea that I first felt when I left the first time that I didn't want to, did not want to forget these children really kept resonating with me. And so I wanted to have an organization that kind of spoke that that said, not forgotten that these children, these people are not forgotten. They may have been forgotten. They may have been forgotten by their, by their parents, by their societies, by their communities. Um, but they hadn't been forgotten by us and not by mm. God. Mm. And so that was, um, a big part of what we wanted to, to communicate through the name. Um, and we had a lot of help. I was in med school at the time. I had no time to do anything. Um, but people just would show up and say like, Hey, I'm a lawyer. I will start your nonprofit 501 C three for you. And, you know, so we just had like all this free help that just showed up. Um, wow. And uh, and God just kind of provided one step at a time for the for the needs that we would have uh, as as they came along. Yeah. And the, and the other really, really important piece of this that we haven't gotten to yet is that last trip um, that I went on my senior year. Um, we met a, a new um, director, a new house parent um, had had taken over um, and his name was Gene uh, Elet. And he. Um, and he's just an amazing man, um, and we developed a really close friendship over over the over the many trips that I got to know him through. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw that he had a true passion to see these kids succeed, to do well, mm. to come out of their circumstances to break the the cycles of the abuse and abandonment they'd come from and, and overcome that. And, uh, and so I also had a partner down there who shared the same passion that, that I shared. Um, but he was the boots on the ground and he saw the needs, uh, you know, day in, day out. And so we started also working very closely with him and he would say, OK, our education here is poor. We're in a, we're in a jungle school. Um, teachers don't come half the time. How can we provide better education? And we said, OK, let's let's hire our own teachers and they can come wow. and do education in addition to what's happening in the school. Mm. And so they started working together in partnership to try to really help these children. and that was a really key part to this as well.
0: My goodness, providing education partnering, I love that you you created a partnership. so so tell us where are we today? what is this ministry uh, what what has it grown into? Kind of give us a give us a here's where we are now.
1: Sure. So uh, see, it's been a, a long road. And, and I'll, I'll say, you know, if um, even at this point where we are in the story, um, if you ever told me that we'd be where we are now, then I'd say no way. <laughs> There's no <laughs> way that's going to happen. And I think that's very true with this whole story is I never when I first went to Peru, I never had any dream of building an orphanage in Peru. Um, mm. But it's a very you know, steps along the way, God has opened doors, God's provided, um, needs have arisen, and we've kind of walked um, faithfully into this. And so we continue to support the, the home that Gene that was working in for many years. Um, but over time, all the kids that I knew when they were five, six, and seven were getting older. They were now right. 16, 17, 18. Um, they were getting ready to graduate out of high school, and we were trying to think about the next steps for them. And we started realizing that a lot of uh, things that they needed to succeed were not able to be taught in the in the model that existed um, in that home. It was a kind of a very traditional orphan care model. There you know, was 40 boys, um, two big dormitories you know, full of bunk beds. Uh, there was uh, a director and his wife and, and one or two helpers and, and a cook. Um, and that was and that was mid to care for 40 boys. And, and they did a great job with the resources they had, but they needed more. You know, these kids have come from really rough yeah. uh, areas um, and they were meeting their basic needs of providing food. They were getting a very basic education. They were clothed. But beyond that, they couldn't really address, for example, the psychological issues that these kids have, have come through um, they couldn't really address or or help these kids to overcome um, learning disabilities because they didn't have the resources or to really you know kids kids were behind they didn't have the resources to really step up and, right. and improve to catch them up and so we we had for example this one kid who was um, just an incredibly talented kid a great soccer player um, very charismatic and you know did okay in school and we were trying to get him, uh, to, to apply to the military for, for like an officer's position, uh, which was a series of tests and things. And, and he passed his physical tests. He even passed his, um, written tests and it came to time for the interview. Um, and he bombed it. Uh, he could not look somebody in the eye in that mm. type of setting and have a, have a conversation because mm. he never had the, had the opportunity to, to practice that or to do that. And his self-esteem was so low that put in that position, he, he just uh, fell apart, which wow. was terrible. And we, we started seeing that there's so much intangible that needs to be taught to these kids, so many intangible things that typically occur within a family, just within a family unit. Right. Right kids learn from watching their parents, from watching their mom and dad interact to each other and towards their children that these kids just don't see. You know, there's definitely learning that occurs in a a classroom and on a chalkboard, but there's so much more intangible things that need to be taught to children as they grow up. And we realized that there was a key component missing to this model and that's the family. Mm. And so, we started considering, we, we tried to work within that model for a while, putting band-aids and patches on things, but we felt like we were really just, you know, patching holes in a sinking ship. Um, and so we said, okay, if we cannot make this model work, we need to scrap it and come up with a whole new model. And um, we took experiences that that uh, we all had had, uh, both Jean, myself, as well as my wife. My wife is a social worker and has done a lot of work. Um, um, with foster care and international adoption. She spent a lot of time at the Big Oak Ranch, um, wow, uh, which good. is a, a home in, uh, in Alabama for, for mm-hmm. children um, and where they have a family model uh, there. And so we, we took all of our experiences um, and tried to come up with a, with a model that would work in the context uh, culturally uh, of Peru. And um, we ended up deciding to ha- create a family, mo- family style or family modeled home where instead of having a big, uh, dormitory with lots of children and a few caregivers, we wanted to have multiple families living, um, with a few kids, uh, in in a small home in a community, um, uh, together, uh, with the, with other support staff. So with social workers, with psychologists, with teachers to help really meet all of their, their needs in a a very holistic way. And so, uh, over time, the guy provided um, the resources to to buy land and get this thing started. Um, and in 2000, uh, I guess 2015, we were able to open open our doors to our first wow. children um, in our in our first location home called Las Lomas.
0: My goodness, that's amazing. And, and so now here in 2021, what does it look like?
1: So now we have two locations. We have, um, a, a home in Las Lomas, which is a, uh, about a hundred acres outside the city of Iquitos, Peru. Uh, we have about, um, Uh, 24 boys who live there now.
0: And,
1: um, that's where our kids, when they first come to us, when they're younger, usually they come between the ages of five and and 11 average age around seven or eight, they'll come to us and they spend their first, um, probably five to seven years in Las Lomas. And it's really a chance for these kids to regain their childhood. You know, there's a lake, there's jungle, there's, um, trampolines and playgrounds and farm, you know, there's a whole farm of pineapples and papaya and bananas and all those kind of things where these kids can just kids um, they live with a they live with their mother and their father um, of a, a loving Christian Peruvian family they uh, they go to school every day um, but they come home to their families and they have a psychologist on staff to work with them on a weekly basis they have a social worker on staff where they can really help meet some of those other social and psychological needs and they have teachers on staff so that when kids come to us and they've not been in school consistently their whole lives we can really try to catch them up to where they need to be and fill in gaps and show them that they can be successful.
0: Tyler, this is an amazing story and eternity will tell the impact that your leadership has made on countless lives as that influence continues to, you know, to, to grow like a, a ripple, like a, uh, in, in water. I can't imagine the lives that have been changed because of your passion your heart is so pure your passion is so evident your transparency is beautiful um thank you for for what you are doing thank you for allowing god to use that and to to kind of weld that up inside of you and then you didn't just hold that you you executed you went out and and created a plan that's leadership you know um, leadership is not just having a dream anybody can dream you put that to that dream to fruition and you did an awful lot of hard work and you're still working and you're still pursuing and you're still still loving these children and providing a way through uh your organization not forgotten for countless generations to to be impacted i mean that's a Think about that. I mean, just think about the children who will, will now have a shot at a healthy relationship and a healthy life. Right. What, what leadership? What, what a vision! It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I could talk to you all day, but our, our time is is fleeting, and I can't let you get by out of here without uh, talking about your treasure. I, I need to hear about your family. I need to hear about. <laughs> tell us about your bride and those treasures and your children. Sure. Give us a little bit of. A, tell us about who they are. Give us a little update on that.
1: Yeah, so my wife Allison, uh, we met, uh, we actually met in Madrid, Spain. We were both studying Spanish abroad at at Sanford, and uh, it was a very uh, just uh, a great story. We met in Spain, we were both studying abroad, we both had a passion for um, Hispanic children. She had spent, um, summers mm. working in Mexico mm. uh, in an orphanage and, um, I'd been to Peru at that point. And so we really bonded over that shared experience, um, and passion. And we became friends for several years before we started dating and, um, ended up getting married and, uh, after, um, Uh, halfway through med school. And uh, now we have uh, three children. We have two boys, Duke and Hardy. They're five and almost three. And then uh, we just had a little girl named Ivy and she's about three months.
0: Oh, you have a three month old. We may may hear from Ivy (laughs) on this podcast then. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. So let me ask you this and, and, uh, and then I'll let you go, but you know, your story is so incredible. If you were to address some of the um, aspiring leaders that are listening to this podcast, someone that's where you were back when you begin to mm-hmm. have this vision and this passion and, you know, that that you allowed God to place in your heart. And so tell them, you know, what are some things that you could say that they would need? These these aspiring young leaders just trying to figure out who they are and where they're headed uh, in today's culture. What would you say to
1: them? Sure. So I always tell people um, you know, a lot of people want to make a difference in the world. They want the leaders. They want to make change. But they don't know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. And they see that they, they may look at Not Forgotten and, see, and me, and they say, "Okay, how did you get here?" And I, and I always say, "Well, I didn't start with this idea to create an orphanage. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I started with a with a desire for adventure. You know, I started with with just a basic passion. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, two things: adventure and helping people. Wow. And, I, and I and I did that. Um, and and then I listened to the Lord. Listen to the Lord's calling in my life. Um, and, and the Lord spoke and said, hey, go back, go back. Don't forget. Um, and so I think doing what you're passionate about, whether that's, you know, adventure or music or, um, or sports or anything, do what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and then listen to the Lord's calling um, as you do what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and, and, and follow that calling. Um, and the Lord will provide one step at a time. It doesn't have to be big. Um, you know, there are many days when we would, we were in, in the middle of this and we had no idea what the next step was. Um, but taking small baby steps makes it a lot easier than trying to get from point A to point Z. Um, and so, uh, that's kind of the things I like to tell people is to do one step at a time and do what you're passionate about.
0: You know, those are words of wisdom. So, so thank you for that. Follow your passion one step at a time and and listen to what God's telling you and be open to where he calls you. That's, that's your story. And you have, uh, you've made an incredible difference because you have done just those things. And, and I can't thank you enough for sharing. We'll put in our show notes, how to get in touch. We'll put the, uh, the link to your website. Uh, in the show notes so people can learn more about you and and your incredible organization. Um, God only knows the impact that you continue to make. So thank you for not forgetting. Thank you for keeping your promise. Thank you for going back and and giving to those those precious children. You are an amazing man, uh, amazing leader. And uh, so thank you for sharing a little bit of your life story with us today, Tyler. It's been an honor to have you uh, on Crossing the Line, and uh, we hope maybe we can get an update from from for your passion and what's going on in the future.
1: Well, thank you, Larry. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share with you.
0: Have you ever met or heard a guy that had such passion uh, and, and such ability to pursue that passion uh, he certainly has um, has made a difference in, in the lives of those children in Peru I hope you enjoyed hearing Tyler today I hope you heard his heart and uh, I encourage you to pursue your passion, where is your faith leading you, uh, where is your call where is your passion, what is it that you want to do as you cross that line to lead with your head and lead with your heart Because when you find that out, that's when you're going to make a difference. Thank you for being a part today of this podcast. And we look forward to being with you next time on Crossing the Line.